Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. All right, thank you all. So those who are going to Little Worship can be dismissed at this time. And uh, if you're staying in here with us, I invite you to open your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 3. I mean, sorry, Luke chapter 4. Uh, you find it there in your uh, bulletin and also just if you have a Bible or any, anywhere else. Um, if you are visiting with us this morning, uh, welcome. Uh, so glad that you're here. Um, we're kind of catching us kind of really at the beginning of a sermon series that we're going through the, the book of Luke. And uh, so today we're to Luke 4 and the temptation of Jesus out in the wilderness. I'm glad you're here. Um, so y'all, y'all know Bear Grylls, right? Uh, Bear Grylls has made a pretty good career for himself doing uh, survival shows. You know, he started with Man vs. Wild, where he would take you, I guess, you know, through, through uh, the television show, he would take you out into the wilderness and teach you things. You know, say, for example, if you, for some reason, you survived a plane crash... <laughs> Uh, in the Yukon Territory, um, then you would know how to survive. You know, find water, find food, make shelter. Uh, and, you know, there was always some bug or some type of worm like you're supposed to eat, right? Well, well lately, and some of y'all have seen this, uh, Bear Grylls has a new show called You vs. Wild. And um, uh, so Sophie and Jude have been watching it lately. And, and what's really cool about this show is he talks to the camera as if you're there. And it's kind of like he's taking you on this journey. And when it, it, it comes to the point to where it's time for him to decide what to do, you know, should he get water first or should he make a fire first, he lets you decide what you want to do. And so at the bottom of the screen, there's the options. And with your, you know, your remote, you can kind of choose which one you think he should do first. And um, really cool idea. You know, he, and he will do what you say. And sometimes it's a really good idea and sometimes it's a really bad idea. And you have to kind of circle around and do the right thing. Uh, again, cool concept, uh, but there's just one huge problem. Um, I, I'm not Bear Grylls. Probably not many of us in here. Maybe Roger Day um, is, is a Bear Grill type, type guy. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a disconnect, you know. So, for example, so this week, Jude told me about one episode where Bear was stranded in a jungle, of course, and a boa constrictor snake snuck up on him coiled around him and started squeezing him, going to kill him. And uh, so it pops up two options. Here's what you got to do. Um, one, you could punch the head, the, you know, the, the snake's head, just punch it till it knocks it out cold, and then unwrap the snake from around you. Or you could jump in the water with the snake wrapped around you, drown the snake, and at some point the snake needs oxygen, the snake will uncoil and, and swim away from you. Okay, those are your two options. And Jude uh, proudly told me that after trying both options, the right answer was to put the snake underwater. That's what you do when a snake wraps around you. So it, this is great for Jude to know for if some unknown reason Jude ever finds himself stranded in the middle of a jungle and a bow constrictor snake sneaks up on him, wraps around him, and is trying to kill him, uh, Jude knows how to survive that situation. And again, like, it's really fun to watch and to read or, or, or to, to find out, but... There's a huge disconnect because 
you know, we're sitting here watching this like, on our couch eating bluebell ice cream, you know. Uh, we are so far removed from snakes trying to kill us. And um, well, in the same way, you know, we can, we can read about Jesus, right? We can learn about Jesus. Um, and, and sometimes we can even think of Jesus almost in like in a fairy tale sense of these really wonderful things, but who knows how that happened. You know, we, we can read about Jesus' miracles of, you know, turning water into wine, walking on the water, raising the dead, forgiving sins. And like, I mean, we love to hear it. It's even almost kind of entertaining. But there's a disconnect, right? Because Jesus is so different from us. <laughs> we, we can't relate to turning water into wine. Um, I, he's God, and, and, and we're not. And so we can wonder, at least I wonder, like, how is it possible that someone like this could possibly relate to us? But this morning, we come to this very special passage, and this is what makes this passage so beautiful he says, this is Jesus going out of his way to say, look, I'm not like Bear Grylls, okay? I, I am super relatable. This is Jesus in his humanity uh, being tempted just like you get tempted, just like I get tempted. And, and we're going to learn some things that are super, like, very realistic. He doesn't punch a, a, a snake. You know, he doesn't throw a snake in the water. No, this is actually applicable and so important to the flourishing of our souls. So, with all that said, um, let's uh, pray, and then we'll dive into the thick of it, uh, into God's words. So let's, let's pray. Father, thank you um, that what we're about to learn isn't like um, you know, shooting lightning bolts out of our eyeballs and like climbing to Mount Everest. So this is like very earthy, very real, something that we deal with every single day of our lives. And so, Father, we thank you that you've given us your word to explain you, to equip us, uh, to show us the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus. So um, show us that through your Spirit this morning. And we ask this in Christ. Amen. So Luke chapter 4, uh, 1 through 13. And he'd just been baptized. And, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, He said, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. The devil took, took Jesus up to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, and uh, this, is, this is Satan speaking God's word, God will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended his every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is God's, God's word. Um, y'all know how there are these uh, sayings 
that Christians use, um, and uh, it's kind of like we, we hear them so much that though they're not in the Bible, uh, we, we think surely, surely it's in there somewhere. Like if we read the Bible long enough, we're going we're to find these words in here somewhere. Um, one of these type of expressions that Christians like to use a whole lot is um, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. You heard that? Probably somebody's told you that at some point. God doesn't give you more than you can handle. And, and look, I'm sure that, that most people who say that have the best of intentions. They're trying to encourage you. Um, but we've got to know that that's probably one of the most anti-gospel statements of all time. Uh, because if we could handle everything, then we would have no need, right? We, we would be like God. We, we wouldn't need God. We wouldn't need Jesus. We wouldn't need salvation. And I just ask, you know, Moses or David or Elijah, Isaiah, Peter, Paul, you know, ask anybody in this room who has been saved, and they will tell you that the single defining moment of their life wasn't when they found out that they could handle all things. No, it was, it was seeing that they couldn't handle. They couldn't handle it. It was, it was getting to the sense to where, like, our shame and our sin, our problems are too much for us to bear on our own. And so we need someone else to bear them for us. And so, y'all, y'all God gives us more than we can handle all the time to, to, to draw us to himself so that we can see our need of him. You know, he takes us out into the wilderness all the time, and we're starving and we're, we're thirsty to show our need of him. And so really that saying that we say, or that Christians can say, oh, look, God's not going to give you more than you can handle, is really just a bad interpretation of what Trey read this morning in 1 Corinthians 10, where we actually do find that there is a promise that sounds kind of like that, but it's about one particular area, and that's the area of temptation. Um, Paul tells us that if you are in Christ, that when t- temptation comes, we're not hopelessly stuck, like we don't have to fall into it. Um, God's Word tells us that, that our temptation is never stronger than God is, that God never allows us to be tempted beyond what we are able to endure or resist in Him. And so that, that, that's one of the top, I mean, top promises of God of all time because, as you well know, temptation is as sure in this fallen world as, as like <laughs> uh, questionable calls are with the SEC officiating crew, right? It's, like, it's just a package deal. You know, in the SEC, we've just kind of come to, to we, we just know that's how it's going to happen. Um, temptation comes with the territory in this fallen world. And since that's the case, there's some things we need to know, some things we learned this morning from Jesus' temptation. Uh, first thing is, we see that though temptation can lead to sin, uh, temptation is not in itself always sinful. Though temptation can lead to sin, temptation is not always sinful in itself and sometimes we think that man one day when we arrive we become like a real christian all these temptations that we deal with we're going to kind of beyond be beyond all that Uh, we will have arrived and we just think that the super godly just don't wrestle with temptation and yet here we see the exact opposite with that this is like you know toto ripping down the curtain in the wizard of oz to see what's really going on we see this, that, that Jesus had just experienced one of the high points of his time on this earth. I mean, like, the Spirit literally descended on him. God the Father literally, like, audibly spoke and said, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And, and he's about to launch out into his public ministry for his people. But notice how Jesus' ministry began. 
And we said that Luke is, you know, he's recording a historical account. He said that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. The Spirit put Jesus in the path of temptation where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. And that line, you know, would have popped for any Hebrew reading this. Because in the Hebrew Bible, you know, the Old Testament, two of the biggest failures of humanity was Adam and Eve in the garden falling to temptation, right? And then if you, if you look to the Exodus, it was uh, Israel uh, being in the wilderness, um, continuing to fall into sin and idolatry. You know, Israel stayed in the wilderness because of that. And so what we see is apart from Christ, and this is just good theology, worldview, apart from Christ, like we are still in the wilderness today. That ever since, ever since that was lost in paradise, we lost paradise, we lost God's presence, and, and now here we are in, in the wilderness. And yet here we find that part of Jesus' mission, or his mission, was to go into the wilderness and to resist temptation where we, we fell be, to begin with. And by doing so, he's making a way for us back home. He's rewriting the script. He's making it possible for us to come back home to the Father, back to paradise. And so what we lost in sin, right here, he is regaining for us in his faithfulness. And so the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was tempted in every respect, uh, yet without sin. And I don't know if it's like sometimes our skeptical minds can think crazy thoughts, but we wonder, like, how is that possible? Because you think, like, Jesus, he only was here for like 30 years, right? I mean, some of us have been tempted for double that time, right? Like, how does Jesus know what it's like to be tempted for 75 years? Uh, How can Jesus sympathize with us? Well, to that, C.S. Lewis said, Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation really means. Uh, He continues in Mere Christianity. He said, it's a silly idea that good people do not know about temptation. He said, that's an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is, how strong that pull is. He says, a man who gives into temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. And Lewis says, that is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have been, he says, they, they have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. In other words, we have to see this because Jesus never gave in to temptation. Uh, he knows more than we will ever know about the power, about its allure, about its, its ugly underbelly, which means that when we're in the throes of temptation... Uh, and, and that siren call of your particular besetting sin that seems to really have your number, that, that, that call to, uh, or that temptation to just gossip, to kind of run our mouths about, about people, uh, that temptation to pornography, uh, to numb ourselves with food or drink, um, to numb ourselves with other, you know, uh, retail therapy, uh, you know, that, that temptation to give our worship to anything other than God. When, when all these things come, Jesus gets it. And Jesus knows exactly how to pray for you in that moment. He knows. He knows. Which brings us to the second thing we can learn. Uh, what is temptation? So, like, like at, at the root, what is temptation? And, and we can read this, and, and we can think, at least I can think, like, look, I don't want to be king or queen of, of the whole entire world. 
of like, I, I just want, like, that's not very tempting. I just want my kids, can they just like brush their teeth on like the third or fourth time I ask them? Like, that's cool. If, if I, that's all I want, God. And, and so we can read some of these like big, huge temptations and, and kind of miss it. That we see that re- really th- these three particular temptations that Satan hurled at Jesus. And by the way, this is the only ones that are mentioned as we read the scripture. And when the devil had ended every temptation, you know, there may have been more. But these are kind of the big three categories. Uh, these are the big three that fuel all other temptations, if you think about it. And so here they are first. Um, it's the temptation that Jesus got here and that we get on a daily basis to, to meet a legitimate need, like a need that is good, to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. You know, Jesus, like he trusted God when the Spirit led him out into the wilderness. And so he trusted God with this time of testing. And so he also trusted God to end that time of testing when God wanted to in his time. But that was 40 days ago. And, uh, and, and though Jesus is fully God, here we see him in his fully humanity, um, which means he was hungry. I mean, you better know that Jesus was tempted by bread. Um, you know, as, as humans, God made us with certain felt needs, right? He made us with certain desires that are, are God-given and, and, and within his plan are, are good. And it's okay to have these desires, but what happens, the problem comes is when, you know, there are some desires that aren't within God's plan, that aren't necessarily, quote, good desires. And, and so it's very tempting to take these things which God has in themselves called good, like food and drink and sex or even just accumulation of stuff and, and pursue them in ways that are outside of God's, God's will. And, and we say things like, like, why should we wait? Like, no one else is waiting. Like, why, why can't I have it now? And why can't I have it my way? And, and that's what, what Satan wanted Jesus to do. Verse 3, he says, look, if you are the Son of God, he's kind of planting the seed. Hey, if, if God loves you, if you're the Son of God, then why would God want you to starve? How many times do we hear this today, right? Like, like God would want you to be happy. Um, God's okay with that. As long as you're happy, God's happy. And then Jesus says, or Satan says, then command the stone to become bread. God doesn't want you hungry. And here's the thing. Sometimes when we're in the thick of it, um, and I haven't eaten in 40 days, which I'd never have done that, um, it's very tempting just to say, you know what? Maybe God does want that for me. Um, and, and look, we can justify all sorts of things in our mind, can't we? Um, you know, maybe God does want me to be happy and to leave my marriage. Um, maybe God does want me to be happy. You know, there are things that we can drink and smoke and take that make me happy. Um, maybe that's a good thing. And, and we can be tempted to, to go into these, you know, legitimate needs in an illegitimate way. And, and here's the thing, you know, Jesus totally could have done it. But Jesus trusted the Father with this time of testing and he trusted that God would give him what he needed when he needed it. And to take a shortcut would be to, to meet that in an illegitimate way. Uh, it, that would have been sin. And so if Jesus had given in, he would not know the depths of, of the temptation that we experience. Um, which brings us to the second big category. And, and this one's very similar. 
But it's that temptation that we get to do the right thing um, the wrong way. Or, or you've probably heard it said that, that we think that the end, the end result will justify what it took to get there. As long as we're getting there, it doesn't matter, you know, what lays in the wake. And so the devil took Jesus and he showed him all these kingdoms of the world. And he said, look, I'll give them all to you now. And it's his rightful, you know, claim to give. You know, this is the, the domain of the prince of darkness. He says, I'll give them all to you now. All you have to do is just worship me. Just tip your hat to me. And, and you, know, you know that had to be appealing to Jesus. Uh, you know, there has to be an appeal of something for something to be a temptation, right? Like y'all, y'all know my not fear of, or no, my fear of flying, my non-love of flying, right? Like it's not a temptation for me uh, to jump on a plane and fly to like definitely not to go up to outer space. But, um, you know, to fly somewhere, that, that's just not very tempting, um, but if there's an appeal, if there's like an actual, like, I want that, um, then that's a temptation. That is an appeal to Jesus because, remember, that, like, that's part of his coming to earth. Like, part of the reason he came was to reclaim authority, right? That's his, rightful, that's his rightfully to own. And here, Satan was offering it on a silver platter. He says, look, you can have that. No cross, <laughs> no suffering, no breaking your mother Mary's heart. I mean, how tempting. It's just somebody's just going to give it to you. You know, Henry IV uh, was a Protestant, but at the time, during this time, to be the king of France, you had to be Catholic. But he thought um, the end was worth the means. And so he took the shortcut and he compromised his Protestant faith, chuckling while saying, Paris is well worth the Mass. But y'all, for Jesus, not just Paris, we've got to see this, but like the entire world wasn't worth the shortcut here. Because if Jesus had done that, sure, he might have earthly authority, but he wouldn't have you. Like, that's what it's all about. Um, the rescue mission was not just to rule over the earth as the king. But the rescue mission was to usher in an everlasting kingdom where, where he is our king and we are his people forever. For, so for Jesus, it really was the cross or bust, just like it is for us. Which then brings us to, then to the third big temptation that we all deal with, and this is just the temptation to test God. <laughs> Don't test me. Uh, to test God. Uh, you know, to use God for our own means. And, and in verses 9 and 10, we see that Jesus, Jesus isn't the only one who knows Scripture. That in many ways, Satan knows Scripture better than we do. And so Satan heard Jesus quoting all the scripture, and Satan said, okay, well, look, I got a scripture for you. How about this one? He took Jesus up to the top of the temple, uh, overlooking what G Josephus, the historian, called a dizzying 450-foot drop down into the Kidron Valley below. And Satan said, why don't you just jump off? Throw yourself down, because if you are the Son of God, you, look, God, God's not going to let you die right here. Like God's going to command his angels to come and catch you. And Satan says, well, I can give you certainty that the Father really loves you right now. All you got to do is just try it out. Psalm 91, go for it. And not only will you know for sure that he loves you, but everyone else will know who you are too. And uh, maybe it's just me, someone who can struggle with these kind of OCD type things where you just like cycle thoughts, cycle thoughts, cycle thoughts. Um, you know, this is a call that we can trust God at his word. And we don't have to go back and check. Does he love me? Does he love me not? Does he love me? Does he love me not? No, like, he loves you. And he's told you that in his word. 
And so we can believe that. And so Jesus combats that by saying, no, you, you, you don't test God. You know, Satan says, look, for, forget going all this, you know, village to village. Like, you, you can do this, and you can, the angels will stop you before you hit the ground, and you'll go viral instantly. I mean, your ministry will explode. Think of all the good that could come of this. But Jesus knew that as appealing as that was, that would be presuming upon God, forcing God's hand, uh, and, and taking, you know, taking the initiative apart from his plan of salvation. And, and so listen, uh, we, especially Christian people, have to be careful of this. Because sometimes, and we hear this all the time, like in, in kind of churchy type talk, we'll do things kind of like this while everyone else in the church or all of our other Christian friends think, that, oh man, we are so faithful. Um, and so it's, we, we do it like this. We call things like, you, know, you just got to step out on faith. And sometimes we say that not really reading God's word or not really doing it by faith. It's kind of more like a blind leap, right? Or we say things like, you know, we're just going to put that cloak out there and just kind of see what happens. Um, and, and we do that, but a lot of times that's really just foolish presumption. And, and we do these swan dives into relationships or into marriages, into business dealings with no regard for God-given common sense, nor God's word, all the while hoping that God will bail us out. He's going to catch us before we, we hit rock bottom. And of course, God specializes in picking up the pieces um, but we got to know that like, that's not faith. I mean, that's just rationalized disobe- disobedience. That's just foolishness. And, and here Jesus reached way back to when Israel was in the wilderness, trying to do the same thing, put God to the test. And Jesus said, Satan, you want me to test God here? But you've got to understand, like God, you, you can't test God. God is the one who tests us. And so, y'all, the call, at least right in this section, isn't to, to challenge God. No, our, our responsibility is simply to trust God in the midst of our testing. Which then brings us to the last thing that we see here. Uh, and this is the question, how? How do we fight temptation? Um, you know, though temptation in itself isn't sinful... If we don't fight it or flee from it, at some point it will, lead us, it will lead us into sin. And so John Owen wrote a ton about killing sin. Uh, but John Owen wrote, he said, offer temptation no parley. And this is kind of like pirate speak. You know, offer it no quarter. Uh, which means, like, don't sit down and negotiate with it. Don't try to be friends with it. He says, when it comes to temptation, like, it walks the plank. You take no prisoners. Um, so how do we fight? And this is one of this beautiful point in which uh, this passage is so not like Bear Grylls, out punching a snake. Um, Because Jesus, he could have done that. He could have torched Satan. But in his humanity, he fought temptation by placing himself under God's word just like us. So when temptation came, Jesus' weapon was God's word. Because when Satan launches half-truths all the time of, does God really love you? Did God really say? Does God really want best for you? Because it kind of looks like your life isn't that great. Or, 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 you know, accusations that you're a nobody. Do you remember what you did last week? Do you remember what you did in college? Shame, shame, shame. Or, you know, of, of, of feeding us lies of what is not really good or true or beautiful. Or this is what will make you happy. 
All these things that come in, we have to, we have to remind ourselves of the whole truth of God's Word, that God's Word comes in and says, yeah, that little thing right there that you're entertaining, like, that's a lie. <laughs> that is so a lie. And so here, Jesus told Satan, you know, like, you're, you're talking about bread, Satan. Y'all remember the Allen Iverson interview, right? Allen Iverson saying, like, man, we're talking about practice. We're talking about practice. Jesus is saying, you're, you're talking about bread. Don't you know that man doesn't live by bread alone? This is, like, it's so much more to it than us having a full stomach and us having material comforts, and us having all the stuff that we long for, like Jesus is saying, you could have all of that, and all of us in this room, like we know people who have it all, and they're miserable. He said, look, you can have all that and be dead. He says, what we need. Like you need a hope that rises above food. You need a hope that is found in God's Word to live. And the same is true of his, when we're tempted to give our worship to something other than God. It's like, that's a lie, that's a lie. God alone is worthy of worship. And so what we see here with Jesus is whatever the temptation is, and like when you're in that moment of temptation, whatever, that, whatever the lie is, God has given us the truth in his word to combat that lie, to rebuke it. And so this is really, first of all, just a, a call, like not just to dabble with. You know, like we, we don't read our Bible so that we can like be better Christians than other people. No, no, you read your Bible so you survive the dark nights and the hard times. And, and so just don't dabble with it. You know, eat God's Word. Digest it so that when those dark nights come and when we're in the throes of temptation, we're, we're better equipped, right, to remember who we are and whose we are. Remember the truth. And, and then here's the gospel shot uh, for this morning. Uh, in Christ, yes, it is true that, that you know, we will have more victory over temptation. Uh, there is that sanctifying process. And, and yet, even then, we have to, re remember, have to remember that our status isn't dependent on how, how well you fight temptation, on your success or, or failure at obedience. Because if it were, we would have no hope. No, it's tied to Jesus' perfect obedience on your behalf. And so we have to see Jesus was in the wilderness fighting temptation for you, succeeding for you, and, and he was on the cross for you, like literally taking your place so that if you are in him, the same Jesus who conquered temptation takes you as you are and calls you forgiven. He calls you loved, and then he comes and lives inside of you. I mean, that's it. And yes, of course, we, we fight temptation, but, but Christ was righteous for us. And having his righteousness, a, a gospel response to that is, is actually, it, it, compels us, it compels us to fight temptation, not begrudgingly, but because of Jesus' great love for us and the, the salvation that we already have in him, then we are actually freed to like joyfully obey, to joyfully fight down temptation knowing that Jesus is so much better. I, I love what Martin Luther said when someone asked him, he said, like, how do you fight temptation? How do you fight the devil? And he said, well, when the devil comes knocking on the door of my heart, asking, who lives here? Luther said, Jesus goes to the door. And says, Martin Luther don't live here no more. <laughs> He's moved out. I live here now. He said, that's it. <laughs> 
No, it is Christ. It is Christ or nothing. And so, yes, like we fight temptation and we, and we flee it, but our most potent and most sure defense is Christ in us, our hope of glory. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, just as Martin Luther said, that when Satan comes a-knocking, uh, if we are in you, Christ comes to the door and it's like, yeah, Richard don't live here no more. McLeod don't live here no more. Um, I'll live here now. Jesus, may you transform us. Um, give us a hatred for our sin. Actually, make us sick uh, over our sin. And give us a joy. The joy, the beauty um, of fleeing temptation, living in you. And Lord, help us to see you. Uh, to see Jesus in those times where we're just so tempted or we feel so uh, just beat down. Um, Lord, on the cross, you call us forgiven and loved. And because of the cross, Father, you smile. You smile upon us. So may we live beneath your smile. We ask this in Christ. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.